All right, now let's get into uh, our message for today. If you've got your Bible, you want to open to John chapter uh, 14. And last week we started off uh, the series. I thought um, I didn't plan this with Chris, but I really appreciated him doing a good job, like really sowing seeds about what the message <laughs> about the whole series we're in, about abiding in Jesus through Advent. Um, and, and that's the series we're in, if you're new. And the focus last week was on the idea of walking in the light. We looked at 1 John uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the idea of abiding or living in the light as a way of, or as a means of connecting and walking with um, Jesus, and we saw that the light came to live as a person so that you as a person could come to live in the light. The hope of this series, and, and one of the reasons we're doing this instead of doing what's called a traditional Advent series where we'd go look at Old Testament prophecies and about the coming of Jesus, one of the reasons we're just diving right in on Jesus is um, uh, to do something a little bit different. We've been in the Old Testament going through Genesis as a church, so felt like here's a good time to just focus on uh, Jesus, but um, the hope is that we would each um, learn to experience and be able to experience a deeper joy and peace uh, in, in our lives uh, through this season. So in the midst of a culture that seems to be collectively losing its mind over everything at all times, we could all use a little more joy and peace, right? Um, in that workplace, that as you're finishing up the year, and it seems like every other employee, other, every other person is in there just for themselves, getting all they can, and you're just trying to, trying to survive, you could probably use some joy and peace. Um, some of you are going to get to go spend some time with some family here soon. And not everybody's family is super healthy and life-giving, right? Um, it can be challenging. And so uh, joy and peace. As you deal with your own struggles and insecurities and loneliness during this season, joy and peace is available. And the reason, we, the reason it's available is because um, Jesus, who gives this joy and peace, is not contingent on your circumstances. You could say he is actually counter-circumstantial. And if... I would argue if that kind of joy and peace, that kind of intimacy with God is available to you and I for us to experience here and now, right now in this life, no matter what's going on with us, that's something worth putting our phones down for, isn't it? That's something worth pressing into. That's something worth focusing on and, and dwelling on. And so the idea is we're abiding, we're going to be abiding in um, Jesus through the Advent series. And all of this, all of these things, this, this joy and peace is available to us through the Spirit. And so that's what we're looking at today is the idea that the Spirit um, is, is a means to abide in Jesus through Advent. In fact, you cannot abide in Jesus apart from the Spirit. Uh, as a matter of fact, everything you have as a Christian, everything that we are as a church and every church uh, has is dependent and utterly contingent on the Spirit. The great theologian J.I. Packer said this, were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity in the world at all. Now, it's important to understand the Spirit is not a force, right? This isn't uh, Star Wars. This, it is, the Spirit is not the force. Sometimes it gets compared to that, and he gets compared, but he's not. He's not a force. He's the third member of the Trinity. And that's why um, anytime the Spirit gets mentioned, the doctrine of the Trinity comes up because he is one part of the Trinity. But let's face it, he's the most difficult part to grasp. When, when we hear about God the Father, right, we, can, we have a concept. We can conceptualize 
the Father, a Father, and take whatever great concept of a Father you have and magnify that into infinity, and that's God, right? Uh, you can think of a son. We know what a son is, and that he came in a human being. We have a general concept of what human beings are. So we can image, we can conceptualize the son. But when he talks about the Spirit, when the Scripture talks about the Spirit, and when he is described in the New Testament, we're at a little bit of a loss, aren't we? We can almost only describe what he does. And that's harder because how do you conceptualize someone by only what they do? Everything that they do tells us something about who they are. Um, Jesus himself in John chapter 3 describes the spirit and compares it to the wind. The wind blows where it will, but you can't see where it comes from or where it goes, but you can see the effects of it. And so I think this is one of the reasons because the Spirit's difficult to grasp, um, and, and all we see is the effects of Scripture and the uh, effects of um, the Spirit in the, the Bible. I think there's like two extremes that churches fall into when it comes to the Spirit. There's, there's one that says because we cannot conceptualize the Spirit fully, and all we see is kind of the effects of the Spirit, um, that kind of feels nebulous and weird, and we, we like more concrete stuff. So uh, there are churches, and some of you maybe were raised in there, where you literally never heard the Spirit. Like maybe when somebody was baptized, baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that was the extent of the Holy Spirit in your church. Some of you were from that. The other extreme is the churches that only talk about the Spirit. As a matter of fact, kind of Jesus and the Father kind of are like back burner, right? It's all about what the Spirit's doing and the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's speaking and the Spirit's speaking to everyone all the time about everything. And what's the problem with that? If the Spirit is speaking to everyone at all times about everything, is the Spirit speaking? <laughs> How do you tell the difference between you speaking and the Spirit speaking? I actually have heard a, heard a guy explain to a, woman he, a young woman he just met, and this is definitely a young guy, explain to a young woman that the Spirit told him that they were going to get married one day. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit may not have told him. I actually have heard some crazy stories where literally a couple, uh, two people were on a retreat. Um, he was a counselor for one church. Actually, he was a camp pastor, and she was a counselor for a, a church. And the first time they saw each other, God told them both they were going to get married. And before the weekend was up, they actually had a talk about it. It was weird. <laughs> and they got married and have kids. And um, <laughs> Now, that's, that's, that's one of those things to enter. But imagine that, young ladies, the guy, you know, guy shows up after church. He comes and finds you, and uh, the Spirit told me we're going to get married. <laughs> I, I don't think I got that call. Um, <laughs> so, so the problem, you see this, uh, the churches that can't, they can't conceptualize the spirit, so they stay away from it. And then the, church that, the churches that see the effects of the spirit in the Bible go, we want that, we want that all the time, everywhere, in every place. And so the spirit becomes an excuse or uh, behind everything. And unfortunately, I would argue both these churches miss the goodness of the spirit. One, because he's everything all the time and everything. And the other one, because he doesn't move anymore, right? <laughs> he only moved in the New Testament, now that's all over. Um, so if you're from one of those more conservative churches, today I'm going to invite you into seeing the beauty of the Spirit, that subjective movement of the Spirit in your life, which um, can bring objective realities out of you, but it, it's subjective. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to measure, to, to put in a box, right? Um, and I'm going to invite you out of the comfort 
of God only works this way into, well, God, the Spirit works in some different ways. And then from those of you that are from the more the Spirit speaks all the time in all places at everyone, uh, to, to see, like, the Scripture kind of narrows. This is, tends to be how he actually really works most of the time. So the big idea is the Spirit's given to us that we might know Jesus and live for him in this world. So we're going to see this in that uh, the Spirit is Jesus' presence with us, the Spirit is truth to us, the Spirit is leading us, and the Spirit is God's power in us. Um, All of these are interrelated, um, but each is worthy of mention. So let's look at this. Um, First, the Spirit is Jesus' presence with us. And so if you've got John 14, verses 16 through 18, listen to what Jesus says here. John 14. Uh, Verse 16. Uh, He says, And I will ask the Father, and will give you, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's some beautiful truth. I could actually just preach on this passage, but we're gonna, I'm going to try to pull some other themes and other passages on the Spirit together to help us to see a bigger picture. Um, but this one uh, lays out right off the bat that Jesus himself is coming to us in the Spirit. He says, um, he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he's just described the Spirit coming. So Jesus himself comes to a in us, live in us and with us through the Spirit. In fact, Jesus says uh, that God the Father will send another, another helper. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, I am your helper, and God's going to send another helper. Now who, would, who could God send that would be even remotely in the same category with Jesus? Right? That's like having, your, your, uh, having a billionaire friend or having, and having your, your buddy who owes you know, half a million dollars in college loans. You know, if, if, if Jesus is the billionaire, who's he going to send? Well, it has to be someone equal. Why would he, would he rob us? In fact, Jesus actually says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So how is that? Unless he himself comes through the Spirit. It's not an impersonal force. It is Jesus himself. And he says he is an advocate. This word helper is actually the same word that uh, we saw in 1 John chapter 2 last week, that Jesus is our advocate. If we sin, Jesus is our advocate before God. It means he's our helper. He's uh, our comforter. This word is used in lots of different ways. Translated um, helper, which sounds like someone at a department store. Um, Sounds like uh, it's translated comforter in some places, like something you curl up and take a nap under. Um, Counselor. In other places, like a cosmic therapist. Um, But none of these really capture what this word really means in the original language. There are connotations of advocate or legal advocate. Um, But Leon Morris, a great New Testament scholar, uh, just used the term, he translated it, friend. And not friend like friend like on Facebook, but like, like think a real, real friend. That I will send another friend for you. While on earth, Jesus was the greatest friend the disciples ever had. He was teaching them. He was walking with them. He was showing them kindness and patience and mercy. 
And Jesus knew that without them, the disciples would struggle, but that he would send the Spirit. He would send the Spirit so he could be with them wherever they went and whatever they did. Physically, um, I mean, this is, think about it, this is the Christmas season, right? And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? In a very real sense, the Spirit is now Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God the Father and God the Son present with us. You see, physically, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. There's no evidence in Scripture that Jesus suspended his physical body and like cloned himself to go around the world. Um, And so as he was physically only in one place at one time, he could only physically be with a small group of people. But he said, I'm going to leave and I will send a helper who will then be with you and in you wherever you go. Jesus knows we cannot do this thing on our own. Jesus knows that it wasn't enough for him to to, uh, simply save us and meet up with us at the end. We need him. We need Jesus. How many of us have struggled in this this year to really follow Christ, to, to walk with him and to know him more fully? We need more of him, more of the spirit in our lives. And he came to help us completely, right? The, the idea of a friend is not someone who, who helps you partially. It's someone who comes alongside you fully. That friend who, you, who knows you, knows your junk, Right? That friend who knows the help you need when you need it. That friend who can call you out when you're being an idiot, right? That friend who can encourage you when you're down. That friend who can correct you when you're going down the wrong path. And we need the Spirit because the Spirit is Jesus with us. Secondly, we just see the Spirit, and very intertwined with it, the Spirit is truth in us. Jesus said in verse 17, he is the spirit of truth. What is truth? Good question. Answer asked a couple thousand years ago by a guy named Pontius Pilate of Jesus. we We could spend the rest of the message today unpacking philosophically what truth is, but let's define it very simply in a way that hopefully all of us can agree on. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. That which corresponds to reality, regardless of what you believe, feel, or think. So I might believe, feel, and think that if I jumped off the top of Coolidge Corner School here, um, the, the Florida Rough and Ridley School, that I could, I could fly out over the soccer field over there. But reality or truth will conflict with that, won't it? Because you cannot deny ultimate truth you and I have concepts of the truth. We, we cannot help, when we're born into this world, one of the things that your little brain was doing as a small child is beginning to try to make sense of the world. What is true? What is good? What is bad? What is right? What is wrong? What is, uh, what is goodness? Who, is, uh, who am I? What does the flourishing human life look like? And we f- try to come up with these truths. But I would argue... Scripture would say that we can never come to the truth on our own. But Jesus tells us that I'm sending the truth, the spirit of truth to you, and he will be in you. And it makes sense that Jesus himself described himself in John 14, the first part of John 14, 
He says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, not, not I am a truth, or I'm kind of a truth, or I'm pointing to the truth. I am, I am in the embodiment. Just like last, year, last week, we saw the idea of the embodiment. Jesus is the embodiment of light, God's light in the world. Light, one of the things light does is expose and reveal truth, right? That's why you don't put on makeup in the dark, ladies. That's why guys don't shave in the dark. It's, it, we, we, we can't do that because we need to see the truth before we can alter it and make it look better. <laughs> but light does that, it reveals. So, so the spirit comes to reveal the truth to us. And it's interesting that, that in revealing the truth and bringing that light to us, it helps us to see who Jesus is more clearly. Back in Genesis 1, if you remember, as we were walking through the creation in Genesis 1, that says the spirit was present the Spirit was present in the creation of the world, of everything and the creation of human beings. And isn't, it's no surprise then that in John chapter 3, Jesus describes the Spirit as being involved in the new creation of a person when they are born again into Jesus' family. Listen to what Jesus says in John 5, 5 through 8. By the way, the whole section, John 3, is, he, is the Spirit's all over the place there, so you should read that on your own. But Jesus answered, true. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes, comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. The spirit of truth comes and turns on a light bulb. Now, what is that like? What does it look like? Well, the, the beautiful thing, I've had the incredible joy of, of seeing hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus over the years. And one of the beautiful things about it is rarely the exact same way. I would say it's, in, there, again, there's sort of two extremes that I've seen happen with the same gospel. But one, sometimes Jesus just, the room's dark and Jesus just sends his spirit and flips on the light and the whole room lights up and it's like, go and almost instantaneously from, I'm not sure I believe in God, I don't know about this Jesus guy, to, oh my gosh, I believe in God, oh my gosh, I believe in Jesus, I'm meeting Jesus, Jesus is changing me. And it happens very quickly in some cases. I've seen this, it's crazy. Somebody who shows up at church for the first time in a long time or never, and all of a sudden, God just grabs them, right? The spirit, that's the wind, right? You can't tell where it's going to blow. I can't, I don't know where it's blowing in here today. It, hopefully, it's blowing in all of your hearts, but, but, uh, but I don't know how, but I do know he does work. That's one extreme. The other one is the per person that takes a long, it's a long journey. It's a long process of sort of going from, I don't know about any of this stuff, to I kind of believe it to, oh, well, yeah, I guess, well, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. Um, it, it reminds me of, uh, of a story, some of you remember him, but um, a guy named Frank, who was a system engineer, I came to City on the Hill, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he started this process of investigating Christianity. He wasn't really the, like this agnostic, he didn't 
I didn't believe in God or anything, but like kind of nebulously had ideas of who God was. But he started this journey and he approached it like a systems engineer would, <laughs> asking all these questions, you know, figuring out how this whole thing worked. And I was meeting, I started meeting with him after a while and I would meet with him and slowly, all of a sudden, Frank started like saying things like thinking like how he was thinking about this thing or that thing or how he's talking to his fiance about this. And, and, uh, and I was like, that's, that's kind of what a Christian would think. Um, and then, you know, and then he explained that he was talking to a Christian, his, his fiance was a Christian. And he said, I was trying to explain to her uh, that she should forgive that person because that's what Jesus would have her to do because Jesus has forgiven her. And I was like, and we kept, and kept working through that. And then finally, I was like sitting down with him at a coffee shop. I'll never forget. I was like, Frank, I'm going to walk through this with you. Okay, so you've gone from there to here. Like things that you didn't believe are true, you, you believe are true now. You, and I said, you, you believe in the gospel, right? You believe the gospel. You believe you were a sinner and that Jesus died and rose from the grave for you. Not nebulously out there historically, but actually for you. Yes. Is there any sense that this is, you're still kind of checking this thing out and you might walk away or are you kind of like, oh, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm never leaving this. And he was like, oh, no, this, yeah, this is my thing. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm never doing anything else, basically. I was like, Frank, I think you're a Christian. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, I think I am. <laughs> and he got baptized and it was great, but it was this long, slow process for him. And you know what it felt like for him? It, it, it's interesting, as you're experiencing it, you think you're just sort of coming to terms with truth, but then you look back and you realize like this hand was guiding you. There were points you realized you started to believe something that you didn't actually get all of your answers, right? And so for some of you who are on that journey right now, the spirit is not like necessarily may not be some big light bulb moment in a dark room. Maybe it's like the dimmer right? The dimmer in the room and he's turning it on, he's turning it up. And, and one day you're going to kind of realize I'm in the light. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I want to follow him, live for him, obey him, serve him. I want to know him and, and, and be a part of his kingdom forever. And that's a beautiful journey. If that's you, like that's our favorite thing to do as a church is to help people in that journey. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, how the spirit works in this. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, the veil of truth. And uh, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So the veil is, the spirit pulls the veil back and you begin to see what reality is. This is why it's truth. You're, you're not coming to terms with, I think this is a good system that, you know, considering all things, this is probably a good way for me to live my life. No, you come to actually believe these things. As crazy as they are, as crazy as they sound at times, you come to go, yeah, I mean, how can I doubt it? It's changed me. It's made me a new person. But the Spirit doesn't just do this when a person becomes a Christian. It's degree by degree that the Spirit, he says here, is showing us more and more of Jesus, more of the glory of God. So you as a Christian, you need this Spirit of truth. You didn't just need it when you became a Christian. You need it day by day to help you to see Jesus more clearly, to see yourself more clearly, to see the temptation and the lies that you're tempted to believe more clearly. 
We need, believe me, I would argue this today, maybe more than ever, probably because the overwhelming amount of information at our fingertips, we need the spirit of truth a lot today. Now, the, the thing about the spirit of truth is like, well, how do I know if he's convincing me of truth or just, you know, it's the burrito I ate last night. The spirit will always work in alignment with this. The spirit, as a matter of fact, I could, I wouldn't have time, but I could do a whole message on just how the spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to the hearts of the people of God. Like that's how, that's how God speaks. That's how you measure whether the spirit's speaking. Not by whether it gave you some impulse that this is going to be your future wife, but how does that measure against scripture? And is that something you should have great confidence in? Because I can have great confidence in saying the spirit is telling me right now that if you are not a Christian, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to turn to him. You need to look to him and see him for who he is. And if you're a Christian walking in sin and patterns of sin in your life, I can tell you with the authority of the spirit of God, you need to repent. You need to cast that off. He is, Satan is holding you in bondage. You are in bondage to that sin. You need to cast it off and walk into the light. The spirit of truth is calling you, calling you in deeper. Jesus reiterates this in John chapter 15. Remember, uh, the series is loosely based on John 15 on uh, abiding in the vine, right? Jesus is I'm the vine, you're the branches. So then in verse 26 of John 15, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So you want to know Jesus you want to experience the presence of Jesus. You want to have more joy and peace in your uh, life this Christmas season. It's Jesus, and it's through his spirit that he's going to do that. Thirdly, the spirit is leading us. I didn't want to say the spirit is leadership, so I just used a verb here, it's leading us, because I, I feel like it's more active uh, and describes what the spirit is, is doing here. And it's not, I would argue, it's not that if you are not being led by the Spirit, there's nothing leading you. Oh, we're all being led. We're all being discipled. We're all being formed by our world that we're in and ideas that are, that are coming into us. You are being shaped and led by something. The Spirit, Jesus says, is meant to lead us, lead us into life. If the Spirit's not leading us, the flesh is leading us. Your flesh is that part of a human being that sets ourselves against God. It is the primal, animalistic appetites, desire, urges, and impulses that are towards evil and not towards good. And Paul says this in Romans 8. Again, about half of Romans 8 is about the Spirit. Maybe one of the largest direct texts about the Spirit in Scripture. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's such a good verse to memorize, by the way. Verse two, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's the power of the spirit setting you free. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's that idea of we're walking according to, in alignment with, under the leadership of the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You're being led by the spirit into life and peace. Verse 12 and 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to flesh, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. So the Spirit comes into you, sets you free from the law of sin and death, and is now conforming you, directing you, leading you to put to death the old flesh. You know that part. It's the part that sabotages your relationships. It's that part of you that that is selfish. It's that part of you that is uh, wrathful and angry. It's that part of you that's greedy and prideful. It's that part of you that every one of us could, could testify about. And the Spirit is leading us to kill that away from that. If you are a Christian, this is what the Spirit is wanting to do in your life today. To bring you deeper freedom from bondage to your flesh to give you the life and peace Paul mentions in verse six. Let me give you an example of how the flesh works this time of year. The pull of the flesh on us and and our our way of life and our way of living this time of year is very strong, right? The idea is that life and peace this time of year is about having the right things, going to the right parties, being with the right people. That's where life and peace are found. You have to give or get the right gifts. You have to somehow experience uh, the, the right moments. And it's somehow all in the back of our mind. It's like, we, we don't want to admit it, but, but the pull is that it's all going to be like the end of every great Christmas movie, right? Where, where everyone's together and there's no selfishness or anger or brokenness or sadness, just wonderful food. And there's no drunk uncle who's passed out on the couch. It's just a delight, right? I, I know I can't be the only one that feels the pull of that, right? And our culture keeps telling us it's this thing, it's this place, it's these people, it's, 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 it's this or that. Instead of recognizing that it's not, a, not that any of those things are bad, but that life and peace in this text is not about any of those things. Because how would we explain to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today Sorry, you don't get life in peace. You're being persecuted, arrested, thrown in jail. Some of you are being killed, having your stuff stolen. No life in peace for you. No. You see, the same life in peace that's available to us is available to them. Therefore, it is not about our circumstances. It's about the spirit. The same spirit that can bring life and peace to you in the midst of your crazy life right now is the same spirit that can give life and peace to our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world. The privilege of every Christian is to enjoy the life and peace of the spirit. Now, that that doesn't mean there's no sorrow. That doesn't mean it's not hard but it does mean that there is life and peace available. Finally, I want us to see here, the spirit is power in us. 
Spirit's leading us and the Spirit is power in us. This one we could go all day on because there's just example after example after example after example through the New Testament of how the Spirit's powers work. And matter of fact, if you want to do a fun study, go through the book of Acts and look up every time the Spirit shows up and see where the, if the, when the word power shows up in that same story, in that same text, um, because power is almost always interconnected with the work of the Spirit in the growth of the church in the book of Acts, and I would argue today as well. One important point about this power that I want to emphasize to you is that this power is not uh, inactive or purposeless power. Sometimes I hear, and I'm, I, I would guess some of you feel this way, when, when, uh, when there's something that is a big task that, you're, that you know the Spirit's calling you to do. Step into conflict with a family member. Uh, you're going to cross that line of, of beginning to share the gospel with that friend or coworker, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't feel very powerful to do this. You got to understand, it's never, the, the Spirit's power is never given ahead of time. It's given when it's needed. It's not an inactive or purposeless power. The Spirit is not a gym rat. You know what I'm talking about? That person you go to the gym and they, they're just ginormous, right? Like they're, they're huge. And, and you're like, wow, he or she must be doing this because they're a fireman or they're in the military or they're a professional athlete. And then you find out, no, it's Bob from accounting, right? And like Bob is doing Excel sheets, but he looks like he could take his entire desk and crush it right? And you're like, there's no testing there. There's the, the Spirit doesn't want you jacked up walking around. I'm full of the power of the Spirit. Ooh. No, it's never like that. And I would argue if you feel like that, it's, pro- it's probably not the Spirit. You just had too many cups of coffee. <laughs> the Spirit will meet you with power when you're doing the work of the Lord. And he will give you the power you need in that moment. Not ahead of time. Because if you felt really, really powerful ahead of time, what would you be tempted to do? You'd be tempted to think that's you. I got this, right? Instead of trusting in the Spirit, walking by faith in the Spirit, and believing in the Spirit. So the Spirit is power in us. Three ways, and I'm closing, three brief ways that the Spirit is power in us. Power to be like Jesus in our character. We see this in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit are set up against the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are what we're really good at, by the way. We're all semi-professional at this. It's the natural instinct that we have. You don't have to, I would argue you don't have to think about works of the flesh. They just come to you naturally. It's very easy for you to do your works of the flesh. But what the Spirit can do only the Spirit can do is to bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. This is not the fruit of the Spirit as in, oh, well, she's going to get love and he's going to get patience. She's going to have some kindness over here. No, the fruit of the Spirit, the way it's described as a singular, is that he brings all of these out in your life. Now, I would argue a good secular person could probably muster up some patience. Probably maybe even be a very patient person. But only the Spirit of God can bring all of this out of a heart like mine and a heart like yours. 
Only the Spirit of God can take an unkind, miserable, anxious, impatient, mean, evil, unfaithful, cruel, and impulsive person and turn them into these, a person who exudes these fruit. So Paul says at the end of this section, Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What if, what if you really abided and walked in the Spirit? And some of this stuff came out in you this Christmas season. Wouldn't that make Bill better? <laughs> or you can just go however you were going to go. Power to be like Jesus. Secondly, power to serve like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. The whole chapter 12 is about the gifts, but look at this. Is Now these are the variety. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So one thing that is super clear about this, the Spirit gives you a gift if you are a Christian. You have a gift of the Spirit in your life. And secondly, you are meant to use that gift to serve others like Jesus would, to love others like Jesus would. It, no one gets all the spiritual gifts, but everyone gets one, at least one, and you're to use that gift so that if Jesus was there in that moment, that's exactly what he would be doing. And you can't do that on your own. Only the Spirit... So if your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy. You should give a word of prophecy, a specific uh, word of challenge, encouragement, specific to a person and or a situation that is just like Jesus would in that moment. If your gift is service, and I would argue I think that a lot of the church is generally given the gift of service. If your gift of service, you should serve like Jesus. When you set up chairs on a Sunday, you should set up like Jesus. When you're, when you're helping someone, you should help them. At, in your workplace, you should help them like Jesus. It is dangerous, I would argue. These two are intertwined, by the way, being like Jesus and serving like Jesus because uh, it's the character of Jesus and the, the activity of Jesus. And when these two are not together, it's a dangerous thing. You find somebody who has the gifts, especially an extraordinarily gifted person who does not have the character of Jesus, and it's a dangerous thing. I think this is what we're seeing in the church across the U.S. where so many Christians are failing and falling. Because they're care- they may- we celebrated their giftedness, but we never saw their character. They could serve like Jesus in a way, but they wouldn't live like Jesus. And thirdly here, and finally, power to tell others about Jesus. This is the overwhelming emphasis of the book of Acts. In fact, it begins in chapter 1, verse 8, and Jesus says it very clearly, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John, um, John 7, as we close, Jesus said this, and I want to just challenge you to Take this for yourself. Jesus says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit. Jesus did not send you a rule book to follow until he meets you at the end. He didn't die and send his best wishes for you. Good luck. He sent his spirit to live in you and with you. 
forever. So it's no wonder the New Testament says things like, don't quench the spirit, don't grieve the spirit. And I would argue today, if you hear the spirit speaking to you in your heart, in your life, that thing you need to deal with, that step you need to take, don't quench it. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the spirit. That is my prayer for you today. You can't fill yourself, you can't. And no more than a pitcher can fill itself with water. But you can ask the God who is who said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can ask that God to fill you today. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we move into a time of response. I wanna call you to believe. Believe in the spirit. Believe that as surely as you have part in Christ, you have his spirit. Believe that he will do his work with power if only you do not hinder him. Believe that he is working even when you cannot discern him. Believe that he will work mightily if you ask this from the Father. It is impossible to live the life of abiding without being full of the Holy Spirit. Believe that the fullness of the Spirit is indeed your daily portion. Spirit, we ask you to come. Come and speak to each of us. Come and speak to us collectively, together. Spirit, we need to see Jesus more clearly. Our eyes are distracted, our hearts are distracted. We need you to open our eyes, pull back that veil a little more, shine the light in. Let us not hide in the flesh, hide our sin, but come joyfully before the throne of grace through your spirit and receive that life and peace that we need. Speak, Spirit, come, Spirit. In your name we pray.